Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series on prayer right now called Praying for a Change. Now, many of us are praying for something to change, but we aren't sure how to do it. Others of us barely pray and need to start praying for a change. This series is intended to help with both. So come learn with us as we develop a hunger for God in prayer, as well as some practical tools to help us pray better. And as always, if you need anything, please find us at our website, tablechurchdsm.org. Now please enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning. There we go. How y'all doing? We made it here. It's cold. So welcome. Welcome to Table Church. My name is Megan Cook. I am the discipleship pastor. Great to see all of you here today. We love you so much. We're glad that you're here. Uh, I want to start off with a story that many of you have probably heard. You might have watched it while it was happening. This was back in 2019. There was a charismatic worship leader who lost her two-year-old daughter. She died very unexpectedly, and the parents immediately gathered their community, and they fasted, and they worshiped, and they prayed all to see this little girl get resurrected. And they did this. Thousands and thousands of people are praying for this family. And after five days, the family realized uh, they felt released from this ask, and they needed to move forward planning a funeral. They did not get what they were asking for. They didn't get it. And I think this is one of those events that launches like a thousand think pieces on Christian Twitter, you know, where something like this happens and then everyone comes out with a different take on it. You know, there are many, many people who ask, you know, is this spiritual abuse? Were, were these parents in denial? Was it responsible for this church to rally around this family in this way? Is this something that we should do? As Christians who call ourselves resurrection people, what is it? What are we supposed to have done with this? And I hesitated to even bring it up in this context because I know that it is such a divisive story that I could not get it out of my mind as I was preparing for today. And so I'm just going to tell you something about me, okay? When I saw this story unfolding, I would not have been able to tell you at the time whether or not I thought what was happening was right or wrong. I do not know what we would do if one of you came to us and asked us as a church to pray with you like this. I do not know what I would do in the same situation, but I can say this story just ate at me, and it got me thinking, and God really got me with this. And ultimately... I think I would like to become a person who asks for resurrection first. I think I would like to become a person who sees death and thinks to ask for resurrection. Why not, right? Maybe God does it, maybe he doesn't, but he has done it and he will do it again. So why not ask? There's nothing to lose. Ultimately, resurrection wins. Why not ask? I want to become a person who prays the, who prays the big prayer first. I want to be a person whose default setting is to go big. And God really got to me just examining my own limitations on my prayer life my own limitations, my own limitations on my belief, what I really believe God would do. I know he can do things, but would he do it? 
and how often I maybe don't even ask. And today, I want to talk about praying to heal, praying for bodies, praying for deliverance from evil, from demons, praying for peace. But I will tell you right now that this sermon about healing is really ultimately a message about the presence of God and cultivating an unadulterated love with him. And I don't mean for this to be a bait and switch in any way. I just think it's responsible theology. I cannot give you a map to Snookies without showing you a map at Des Moines, can I? No, one comes before the other. If we're going to talk about healing, we need to understand healing within the context of the abundant, loving presence of God. And if you've seen teaching over the years that's ever gone sideways when it comes to healing, if it's ever gone the wrong direction somehow, this is probably where things got off course. Are we hungry for spectacle or are we hungry for God? What is it? Usually our hunger, the real motivation of our hunger, gets revealed when we get our answer. Whether we got our answer or not, it really doesn't matter. Once you receive it, you see what you were really hungry for. Now, I've been reading the Gospel of Mark a lot lately, and so just as an example, we're going to walk through the book of Mark and look at healing that takes place there. Okay, so we're going to start in Mark 1. Jesus drives out an impure spirit from a man in a synagogue. And then immediately it says that he goes to Simon and Andrew's house and he finds Simon's mother-in-law in bed with a fever, very sick. And Jesus takes her hand and he heals her. And then in verse 32, it says, After that, that evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. He's the Son of God. In Mark 2, Jesus heals a paralyzed man lowered through the roof by his friends. They tear the roof apart to get him down to Jesus. In Mark 3, Jesus heals a man with a shriveled hand in the synagogue. And in Mark 5, Jesus delivers a man tormented by demons, and he sends the demons into a herd of pigs. Causes a big scene. And then on his way to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, he also heals the woman with the issue of blood just because she touched his cloak. And in Mark 6, Jesus sends out the 12, and he gives them authority to preach and drive out demons, to anoint and heal the sick. And in Mark 7, Jesus puts his fingers into a deaf and mute man's ears, and then he spits, and he touches the man's tongue, and that heals him. And in the next chapter, some people bring a blind man to Jesus, and Jesus spits on this guy's eyes, and he puts his hands on him, and now he can see. Throughout the gospel, Jesus is walking and teaching and healing and delivering people from demons over and over and over, and everybody is talking about it. Not everyone understands what's actually going on, but clearly something undeniable is happening. This is an understandable threat to people in authority. And in Mark 12, religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. So they're asking him all kinds of questions about what do we do about taxes? What do we do about marriage? And then finally, uh, in, we get to our passage today. In verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? We got a lot of rules to follow, a lot of protocol. So in your words, Jesus, what's the most important thing? What carries the most weight? 
The most important one, Jesus answered, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Remember, we're standing in a temple courtyard. All these sacrifices are happening around them. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you... You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. The kingdom of God is where what God wants, who God is, is happening. Where God reigns over everything. Okay? And Jesus says that we get there when we love God, truly love him. It's not like a place we have to arrive at later. We can get into the kingdom right now by getting to a place where who God is and what God wants is happening and we are in line with it. All right. Jesus says we get there when we love God, truly love him and allow that love to transform how we love ourselves and how we love the world. Pure love is the map to the kingdom of God. That's the map. And Jesus has been healing countless people by this point, like thousands of people are talking about him, miraculous healings and deliverance. These are signs of the kingdom. Healing is evidence the kingdom is here, and it's a window to what's to come. It's evidence. But just because we witness the miracles doesn't mean that we understand the source. Healing points to the presence of God, but the point is God's presence. That's the point. Did you know that you can receive healing without ever receiving Jesus? You can witness wonders and never submit to the source. Some of the most heartbreaking seasons and moments of my life have come watching people who got a miracle walk away from the Lord. I've seen it so many times. To be frank, you can witness a miracle, you can experience a miracle, you can receive a miracle, and it doesn't stick. It doesn't necessarily last if you don't get to the source, if you don't attach there. The signs and wonders don't do the work. It's the power of God. It's the presence of God. Do you want God's power or his presence? Do you want God's power or his presence? If you only want God's power, if you only want God to do what you want him to do, then you might get your answers, but you could miss the point. What a tragedy. I have seen healing. I have seen people whose legs do not work start to work by prayer. And those people walk on those legs and no longer walk with the Lord. It breaks my heart. It is such a tragedy. I have seen things And I have learned over the years that the miracles and the signs and the wonders are gorgeous, but they are not the point. They are not the point. God loves you because he loves you, not because of what you do for him. 
And the goal of your life is to understand that love and to learn to subsist on it, to eat it, to devour it, to need it, to reciprocate it. God is love. He loves you because he loves you, not because of what you do for him. And the whole point of your life is to love God because you love God, not because of what God does for you. God is love. Has your desire for God to give you a particular answer in prayer eclipsed your desire for God? If you're realizing that that is the state of your heart right now, I want you to listen. This is not meant to condemn you. It's meant to compel you. You can seek the Lord. You can ask for forgiveness. You can confess that to God, and you can ask for a pure heart. Come to God on his terms. God is love. If the way you've been interacting with God is not loving, it can change. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The psalmist writes, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. God is love. Whatever God accomplishes, love does it. If you want to pray powerful and effective prayers, you get there through devouring the presence of God. God's power to heal flows from who he is. God is love. If you seek answers to problems and deny God companionship, you might get your answers and miss the whole point. You can miss it. You can witness God's power without ever tapping into his presence. But if you live in the presence of God, his power flows through the love that you share. This begs that question that most of you are probably thinking, wondering if I will answer it, but what do we do when we suffer? What do we do with all the pain? What do we do with the pain? First, I want to tell you something about me. Anybody who knows my family personally knows that we have walked through some terrible things terrible things as a family, things that I'm not going to talk about here. I have seen intense days of ministry to helping other people walk through their own tragedies. I've done that for years over and over and over again, just getting into the deepest stuff with people. And I want to tell you that there have been many days in my own life where I in no, in no exaggeration, I have not had the strength to do anything but lay on the couch and know that I'm with somebody who loves me. This is all I got. A whole lot of days. That's all I've had, is to lay there and know I'm with someone who loves me. And I can honestly tell you that is enough. That is enough for me. It's enough. He's enough. I want to tell you a secret that I have learned in the dark. 
Jesus does not watch me in my pain. Jesus lives my pain with me. God does not watch you cry. He cries with you. God does not watch you suffer. God suffers with you. That is a mystery. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. No one understands the wrongs that have been done to you like Jesus because he was born to absorb all of it. He's tasted it. He knows. He's born it in his body. No one understands sickness, pain, wounds, injury, pain of the body like Jesus does. He's our suffering servant. He's our man of sorrows. Jesus does not watch you suffer. He suffers with you and he understands your pain. He knows your particular pain and he participates in your pain. Is that enough for you? N.T. Wright wrote, Jesus doesn't give an explanation for the pain and sorrow of the world. He comes where the pain is most acute and takes it upon himself. Jesus doesn't explain why there is suffering, illness, and death in the world. He brings healing and hope. He doesn't allow the problem of evil to be the subject of a seminar. He allows evil to do its worst to him. He exhausts it, drains it of his power, and emerges with new life. Has your desire for God to give you a particular answer in prayer eclipsed your desire for God? This is your opportunity for confession. Don't miss it. Do we want answers to our pain? Or do we want the God who participates in our pain and who has already done the work to resolve our pain in his time? God loves you because he loves you, not because of what you do for him, not because of what you do. So don't love God just because of what he does as far as you observe it. Love him because he's love, because that's what you're born for. With God's help, we can learn that love and learn to take authority over sin and sickness and evil with him through love. We tend to fixate on things that are unsolvable. Our brains do that for us, don't we? We fixate on something that if that would change, perhaps this would be easier, but unless that changes, I'm not going to be able to do this. We fixate on things that are unsolvable, and it gets us stuck there. That is something that sin does to us, all right? We get attached to things that do not serve us well, and then we get deceived about what we really need, and we pursue the wrong stuff. The point of the Christian life is to be reformed, to fixate on God, to become entirely preoccupied with the Father. We get there by getting into his loving embrace and then teaching ourselves to not leave it. That's how we get there. And to let that loving embrace reshape us. Do you earnestly want to be with God with no other agenda? Can you say that that is true? 
If you can't, that's okay. Just be honest with yourself. Do you want him? Do you want him? Is he enough for you? Do you want him to be enough for you? I want you to all stay seated as we pray. We're going to pray in a minute here, but I'm just going to ask all of you to close your eyes right where you are. Not because what we're doing is, is a secret, but just because it's easier to focus. Close your eyes as we sit here together. I'm going to ask you a question. If you want to make a move with God today, if you want to do something with your body to change your position, to make a physical change, to help you make an internal change, then I'm going to challenge you with this question. Is the presence of God enough? Is the presence of Jesus enough for you, even if nothing else changes? Even if nothing else gets better, even if things get much worse, is Jesus enough? Is God the Father enough? Is it enough to know that you are filled with the Spirit? Is it enough? So as you hear that question, is the presence of God enough for me? If it is, stand up. Just right where you are, just stand up. If you want the presence of God to be enough for you, stand up. Is he enough? Say it with your body, he's enough. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to reveal the condition of our hearts to us right now in this precious moment, just these seconds together, where we need to confess our sin, where we need to forgive and give it up where we need to lay down something, Jesus, I pray that you would make it clear to us, where we need to confess our selfishness, our pride, our control issues, how we've obeyed fear instead of love, how we've let cynicism infiltrate every single way that we observe what's happening in the body of Christ and step ourselves away from it and observe it and criticize it rather than participate in it. Jesus, forgive us where we have let our thoughts about you and how you should be and thoughts about the church and how the church should be eclipse our love for you. Jesus, forgive us. God, where we have demanded that you answer us and ignored you with our lives, God, forgive us. We have demanded so much of you and forgotten you later. Holy Spirit, uncover our hearts with your loving hands receive our confession. You are welcome to remake us. We stood because you are enough. You are enough. Now for those of us in the room who are standing here, if you've stood up, you are saying, yes, God, you are enough. And I want you to be enough. I want your companionship more than anything if nothing changes. If everything falls apart, I want you. Now as you stand here in the power of the Holy Spirit, get ready and in Christ take authority. Take authority to preach the word. Take authority over sin and the devil. Take authority to cast out demons, to anoint and heal the sick. Authority to flood the needy with blessings. Take authority to be the living face of the Father to people the world hates. Adopt the kids nobody else wants to adopt. 
Love the people who are hard to love. Give when you don't know what'll happen to the money. God is enough, God is enough. Take authority to heal bodies and disordered minds. Take authority over corruption. Take authority over finances. Heal marriages. Heal your marriage. Heal your home. Take authority over your school, over your office. Drive out evil and restore peace. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice and put yourself in positions where you have to be low. And you're with God there. Take authority, Christians. Jesus is sending you out like sheep among wolves. Take authority over the divisions in our nation. It is not enough to just say nothing and try to stay out of it. And it's also not enough to fight with ridiculous arguments that are completely detached from love. So figure it out in the middle somewhere. But Christians, take authority over what is happening in our world today. Be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. In the name of Jesus.